0: My grandmother was a wonderful woman. She was generous, loving, and forgiving. Or at least she was forgiving when it came to her grandchildren. With my grandfather, she could remain angry for days on end. With my grandfather, she could hold a grudge in perpetuity. She never, ever forgot a single wrong he did. In fact, I remember on one of our trips to South Georgia, Dave cornered in the kitchen of my grandparents' restaurant, my grandmother reciting to him an oral inventory of all the wrongs my grandfather had done since their wedding day in 1941. Four hours into it, she had only gotten through the first three years of their marriage. Not only could my grandmother remember every single sin my grandfather ever committed, she could also construct a genealogy of them. She could tell you which wrong begat which subsequent wrong. (laughs) For example, my grandparents used their motor home to move me up to Connecticut for medical school. Now, they had actually owned the motor home for several years, but it had never left their driveway, which is a whole other story. Occasionally we would just all go out and sit in it and talk about how nice it was. So the trip to Connecticut was both its maiden and its final voyage. All this is to say that my grandfather was not experienced at driving the motor home. When we stopped at a mall along I-95 to do some necessary shopping, he drove into a parking garage not tall enough for the Winnebago and we got stuck. Immediately, my grandmother turned to my grandfather and laid out in full the map of his sins. It's all your fault, she snapped. If you weren't so lazy, you would have been out working on the rental property every afternoon instead of sitting on the stool in the restaurant drinking milkshakes. Then you wouldn't have gotten so fat, your clothes wouldn't be too small, we wouldn't have had to stop at J.C. Penney's to buy you a new pair of pants, and we wouldn't be in this situation to begin with. Now I know that my grandmother isn't alone in her quickness to anger and slowness to forgive. It's easy to become angry when things are not as we think they should be, and forgiveness is just plain hard. But as difficult as forgiveness is, it's crucial for the world we live in. Maybe once upon a time, forgiveness was mostly a matter of private piety, Today, it's possible that the survival of our planet and of the human race depends upon it. And maybe that's why I was drawn to today's reading from Ephesians. Ephesians is often seen as a study in what it means to be the church. And our passage today tells us that to be the church is to speak truth, to gain our possessions in honest ways and then share them with one another, to not sin even when we are angry, To put away all evil words as well as all bitterness, wrath, anger, slander, and malice. To be the church is to be kind to each other and to forgive each other. It's to realize that we are all members of one another, all parts of the same body. I just spent the past week at Camp Mitchell, and I think this whole passage from Ephesians could be summed up in one of the rules we have at camp. And it's this rule. The God in me recognizes the God in you, which makes the space between us holy. Thus, we will not put ourselves or one another down. Hard words to live out perfectly during a week of camp on the mountain, even harder words to live out perfectly in the real world. Now, being related to my grandmother, I confess that I am no expert in forgiveness. I'm still practicing and trying to figure it out like so many of us but I do want to at least scratch the surface of the topic of anger and forgiveness. So first, what does it mean to be angry but not to sin? Of course it's a sin to be caught up in a fit of road rage and kill someone, or to strike your spouse for getting home late from work, or to scream obscenities when someone takes the last item on Black Friday. That, we can figure out that those are sins. But today's reading from Ephesians seems to say that it is also a sin to hold on to our anger, to let the sun go down on our anger and therefore to make room for the devil. We all know that when we hold on to anger, it turns into a slow boiling resentment that can destroy our relationships. And yet still there's this compulsion to hold on to our pain and our anger. Why? It goes without saying that it can be hard to let go of our anger when the wrong done to us is so great. Loss of life, abusive childhoods, permanent displacements. None of us would wonder that forgiveness would be difficult in these circumstances. And to suggest that anyone who has suffered such pain should forgive instantly, well, that would be to heap transgression upon transgression. But perhaps part of the reason that forgiveness for even mundane offenses is both difficult and rare is that we sometimes benefit in some way from holding on to the hurts we receive from others. A year ago, I sat in a circle of friends here at St. Peter's, all of us sharing our own experiences of times that we had found it difficult to forgive. Someone said, I think I hold on to my resentments and anger because they make me feel safe. In other words, we hide behind our resentment like a barricade that prevents us from risking further injury, from risking further vulnerability. The only problem is that the same walls that protect us also become our prison. Another person remarked that to let go of his anger would be to give up a certain power over the one by whom he'd been hurt. Still another friend acknowledged that grudges and pain were, for her, a source of motivation and energy. Anger at injustice and oppression can especially function this way, but it can't be our primary motivation for doing good in the world. Deeper than the no of anger must be the yes of an alternative dream for the way things could be. But the type of anger that we often have the hardest time letting go of is anger directed at a person who has harmed a third party. We feel justified in our anger in that case. Dare I say we feel even pious. Holding on to this kind of anger feeds self-righteousness and helps us feel good about ourselves in a smug kind of way. For all these reasons, we hold on to anger, anger with a clenched fist. So one question to ask ourselves when we're having trouble forgiving someone is simply this is there a particular benefit that we gain by holding on to our resentment and anger? I think another reason forgiveness is so difficult is that we often fail to name forgiveness for what it really is, an act of mercy rather than of justice. We are trained to think in terms of what is fair, and so we think a wrong requires some sort of compensatory action to set it right, a payback if you will, I'll forgive you if you try to make things right, if you make amends. Now, I'm not saying that acknowledging the wrong that's been done, amending one's life and making restitution where possible, I'm not saying that these things aren't important because they are. But if we wait for a wrong to be made right before we forgive, then forgiveness will never come. Because no payback will erase all the hurt that we've suffered, the loss of trust and the sense of betrayal. And besides, some debts are just downright unpayable. Some wrongs are impossible to make restitution for. Ultimately, forgiveness is not about justice. Forgiveness is always a matter of grace. And finally, when we are working toward forgiveness, it's okay to relinquish visions of holding hands, swaying, and singing kumbaya together. It's okay to let go of those. This is where I find the theologian Marjorie Suhaki to be helpful. She defines forgiveness as simply willing the well-being of the other person. Willing the well-being of the other person. This may include feelings of love, but it doesn't have to. Because here, forgiveness is an exercise of the intellect and not of our emotions. In fact, Suhaki writes that given the enormity of much sin, if feelings of love were required for forgiveness to take place, then where forgiveness is needed most, it would be in shortest supply. See, forgiveness doesn't have to be all or nothing, and it doesn't have to take place in an instant. It's all right to take baby steps. If only we can keep alive the hope that one day we will be able to forgive. If only we can keep the door cracked to the possibility of forgiveness. Because with just a little bit of openness and vulnerability, the Holy Spirit can catch us up and can ultimately take our hearts and minds places we could never go on our own. With just a little bit of openness and vulnerability, God's grace and forgiveness can become the source of our own. Keeping this hope alive is where the church comes in. In this place, we share our pain, our hurts, our anger, and even our resentments. But we don't let them have the last word. We don't let them solidify. Because we also share our belief in the power of God's love to heal them. Even ones that, as in the case of my grandmother, started accruing in 1941.